By a show of hands, how many of you have ever been sailing before? You got to, I, don't, I don't know if you were in charge of the boat, but you at least got to be on a sailboat. It, it, it's a pretty exhilarating experience, isn't it? It's, it I, the first time I got to go sailing was I was a kid, and after getting done throwing up from being seasick and stuff, when we got to the boat to like this position, I think they call it healing, where all of a sudden the, the, the power of the wind just it's just pulling this boat and the boat's going sideways and you're holding on for kind of dear life, but you're, you're soaking it all, all in. It is a, it's a pretty exhilarating experience. I, I was able to take my kids on vacation. We were able to, to do one of those little catamaran uh, tours where you, you're on this boat. And so it motors out and we're out in the ocean and all of a sudden they, they stop the motor. And, we're, and, and it's, it's crazy because you're, you're just sitting still. And so you see these guys kind of like pulling the sails, getting the sails in place. And then all of a sudden, it's this, 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 this power that, that is captured and harnessed. And the boat begins just to rush through the waves. And we're sitting up on front of this catamaran, racing through the ocean, bouncing and laughing and having this experience. And it's just this, this wonderful, powerful thing where you begin to see the, the, the power of the wind, in essence, harnessed uh, by these sails. And this, this young boy asked his grandfather one time, he says, uh, Grandpa, what is the wind? And his grandfather said to him, I, I, I can't answer that for you. Um, but what I can teach you is how to raise your sail and catch its power. And, and today, that's what we're going to, to be thinking about is how do we in our lives raise the sail of our lives in such a way that we can capture and harness the power of the wind uh, what we saw last week is that Jesus, upon his, as he prepared to ascend into the heaven, he, he said to his disciples that for them to wait, that the, the, the spirit of God was going to come upon them. The, this word pneuma, which means spirit or wind, that, the, that they were to wait for this power to come. And the question, of course, is what did they do in those days waiting for that time? To, to how do they prepare their sail to catch the power of that wind? And we want to think a little bit about this. How do we do this? How can we learn from their example? We talked about last week that sometimes in the book of Acts, uh, you see kind of descriptions of things that are happening. And we always want to ask some questions about what, what can we learn from what was happening in that unique time. And, and I think there's, there's some, some questions that are really good for us to ask as we look uh, at, at how they position themselves and, 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 and set their sail to catch the power of the wind of the Spirit in their lives. Now, to do that, let me prepare you for where um, these next minutes will go. Sometimes in life, you need a nudge, don't you? And, and sometimes you need a push. And sometimes you just simply need a kick in the rear, don't you? You just, you need, you need something a little more. It, it, and we're all in different places in different times. Uh, uh, this week I turned 46. I know I don't look a day over 45, but uh, I turned 46 and, uh, and so I realized I, I got to get in better shape. I've just kind of, I've kind of um, stopped working at some of the things I need to do to be healthy. And so here's the, here's the, the challenge with it is, I have a brother-in-law who's a, who's a personal trainer. Um, uh, this, is my, this is my brother-in-law. He's a personal trainer. Now, now, how many of you would want this guy training you? I mean, he's a little intimidating, isn't he? He's, I think you see him. And so I have resisted him my whole life. Like, it, it, I mean, he comes over and leaves little notes on the food that I have in, my, in our house and stuff. Like, really? You know, kind of. But he's, Doug's a, he's, a, he's an awesome brother-in-law. I couldn't ask for a better guy to be married to my sister. Great husband, father. Uh, 
As intimidating as he looks, he's a giant kitten. He's like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. But I asked him, I knew, you know what I need, Doug? I need someone who loves me, who cares about me, but who will kick my butt a little bit. I need someone who will push me to be healthier and you're the guy. And, and so I've resisted in my whole life, but now here's the problem. I have like time on Wednesdays and I drive right past his house. And so I'm like, I, I, I have no excuse any longer. So on Wednesday, I went over for the first time and after we were done and I couldn't decide whether to throw up or faint, I, I, I realized at, by the end of the day though, I thought, you know what? I feel a little different. I feel like I, I want to do things differently as a result of that time. And so what I want to encourage us to think about today is to, to, to let the spirit nudge you or push you or kind of give you a kick in the rear if that's what's needed. See, I, I'm doing this because I've got an eight-year-old. And as I'm getting older, I want to I walk her down the aisle. I want to dance with her at her wedding. I want to I hold her kids. And I realize, you know, I, I got to last. I got to be there. I got to be healthy. I got to lead a, a large church. And it takes a lot of energy uh, to do this. And so as I look at the different things in my life, I, I need to get healthier because I know my life will be richer and better as a result. And I want to invite you to let the Spirit of God, as you think about how to um, uh, position your sail, uh, to nudge you or, or push you in, in whatever way, I want you to do it because, I want you to listen. I don't think this, what the Spirit wants to do is antagonize you or, or, or make you feel guilty or, or anything like that. I think what, if you will listen uniquely, you will hear that the Spirit is calling to you to live and experience life. The fullness of life that God has for you. So don't be intimidated by hearing things that you, that you know you should, you say, you know what, I, I know this is where I need to kind of, this is the nudge I need. I need to make some changes and do some things differently. And everything we're going to talk about today is really about questions. We're going to try to answer some questions rather than give you propositions. And it's all built around one question. And so our big idea today is a, is a, it's a big question. And the question is this, do you believe what you believe? Do you really believe what you believe? Now, what a great song to sing right before our time. All this, this great creed, this, these great ideas about what we believe. But I want you to think about this. Do you really, do you believe these things so much so that you can see it in your life? that you believe it in that way. Uh, do you believe what you believe? And I want us to look at the, these first Christians because, see, they believe some things were going to happen. And as a result of believing that these things were going to happen, they started doing things. And they did these things because they thought that these would be the things that would prepare them for what God had next. And so let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. A passage of scripture that a lot of times, I think when we're reading through, if you've ever read through the book of Acts, we kind of read this part quick, skip over it so we can get to chapter two, and it it seems like there'll be better stuff still to come. But I think there's some interesting things as we look at Acts chapter one, verses 12 to 26, that can be helpful to us. And so let's look at this, and we'll ask a series of questions based on what we see these first Christians doing. Acts one, starting in verse 12. We read these words. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, 
Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with, uh, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field there, and he fell headlong. His body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Al-Kadama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us this whole time uh, the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, and also known as Justice and Matthias. And when they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left for us to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. And so he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, as we look at uh, these disciples, let's, re- let's be reminded a little bit where, where they were. So as they, they, they had experienced 40 days of Jesus being with them. They had, they're, they're, they're witnessing uh, the resurrected Christ. First Corinthians tells us there was a time where uh, uh, 500 people were gathered together, listening, he's teaching about the kingdom. That, uh, we saw last week this final time that he's with them as he's teaching and training them and preparing them. And then he, he, he goes, he ascends to heaven. And as they're looking, as they're taking this all in, uh, the angels come and speak to him the same way you saw him taken into heaven. You will see him return. And so stop looking into the clouds. You got a job to do. Get to work. They're, they're ready to go. And so this brings us to the first thing that we see happening in verse 12. And it makes us ask a question. We see this, this, this life of expectancy. And I want to ask you the question, are you living in expectancy? They had just experienced something incredible. And as a result, verse 12, notice what you see. They, they left. They went to go do. They went to go get ready for what was about to come. They expected something to happen. Imagine what it must have been like. Not just taking it all in. You're listening to these sermons. You're nudging the person next to you like, this is Amazing. Look at him. He's alive. But to be, imagine what it must have been like to be in that place. And you watch him ascend into heaven. And you're taken in and you're seeing things that you could only imagine reading about. But you're watching heaven open up and heaven and earth coming together in such a unique way. And now you know that, that something is about to come. As good as this is, there's so, still something more. A gift has been promised to you. 
I don't know what it was like to, to make that walk back, but I imagine there had to be a lot of, of running and skipping and, and, and jostling each other and grabbing each other and, and noogies. I, 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 the only way I can figure, there's just so much joy and expectancy of something great, this hope that's arising among them. And they're preparing for what is next. Remember, don't stand looking in the clouds. They're getting ready because they expect something great to happen. God's about to do something great in them, and God's about to do something great through them. Now, I don't know that anyone in our church lives with expectancy better than uh, Amy Hall, who leads our children's ministry. And uh, Amy and Gabe are our pastors over our children's group. And if you have kids, you've, you've probably met Amy, but Amy literally will send us texts as a staff. 225 days out, we will get a text that says, only 225 more days until vacation Bible school. And all throughout the year, we will get these random texts together as a staff. She is so excited for vacation Bible. I mean, is three months away. And right now it feels like, it almost feels like it's going to be like in two weeks, doesn't it? I mean, there's, there's this like buzzing that's happening. And she will get these, these deliveries that come and she's taking photos of them, sharing with everyone. I mean, we, as a team, we're just like, oh my, this is going to be rather intense, isn't it? But, but why shouldn't she be expectant? If you've ever been here, if you've ever seen it, if you haven't been here, you better register now because you don't, you don't want to miss it. I mean, everything that you experience from the, the, I mean, there'll be over 500 kids here laughing and singing and dancing and, I mean, just having this amazing time, all the things that they're learning, all the things that they're experiencing, and you just take it all in and you realize, of course she's going to live with expectancy, And as you take this in, you realize that this is, in some way, the, the disciples have the same sense that something great is about to happen. Something great that God wants to do both in them and through them. I hope you're living with some sense of expectancy here. I mean, God has been doing some amazing things in our midst. I mean, just, just in the last six or seven weeks, a number of people, in fact, some of you who are here today, you have, you have been saved. You've become saved. You've, you've found salvation for the first time in your life. You found Jesus. You don't just know about Jesus. You know him now. And, he, and the spirit that we're speaking of, you now are experiencing God's spirit dwelling in you. And, and you know that your sins are forgiven. You know that you have this life that is for now and forever with God. There's this, this joy that we just baptized 19 people. And the list is already growing of people who want to get baptized in the next baptism. There, there was over 1,600 people here a couple weeks ago for Easter. It was the, it's the biggest that we've ever had in our 100-year history of, of ever uh, on Easter. I mean, there's, just, there's this, this buzz of something God is at work in us and through us. Even yesterday, I did a, a funeral yesterday. A dear teacher over at the school behind us, Tamura. And as we finished the service, it was very interesting for me to see um, uh, some of the city administrators come to me. And they said, you know, we really appreciate this church. Like all the things that you are doing for the, our community and the ways that you guys are involved. I just want you to know, we hear about you. We, we, we feel your presence and we really appreciate all that you as a church do for our city. And that's, a, that's a pretty big compliment to come from city officials saying that kind of stuff. That you should be expecting God to be working in you and through you. And, and, and the, the, these first disciples, they're, they're living with a sense of expectancy, right? That, that Jesus, that, that this gift is coming, that Jesus is going to come. 
I mean, do you, do you live with that? Do you live in this place of that Jesus not only died for you, that he rose, but that he's coming? That we're living in this time in which God is trying to do something uniquely special as, as if uh, he's never done before in the history of the world. Do you live with this sense of expectancy in your life? Do, do you wake up when your feet hit the ground in the morning? Do you have that sense of expectancy that God wants to show you special things about who he is? Or about who you are? Or about the unique way in which he wants to work in your life or through your life? Do you, do you wait or do you just kind of wait till Sunday comes back around again? I mean, can, can, can God do dynamic things on a Tuesday? Do you live with that expectancy that God wants to do something? What about, you know, we talk about this 8 to 15 group. You have this small relational world. And you feel this leading by God's spirit to to pray or to serve or to share or to invite people who are in this little world that you have. And we, we talk a little bit more about it on the back of your note sheet. You can, you can read about it. But do you have this expectancy that when God is prompting you to do whatever it is he's calling you to, it is because he is already at work in that person's life and you have a unique role to play at that time and at that place. All you simply have to do is just be available and faithful to do what God is asking you to do? Do you live with expectancy? These first Christians, one of the ways they, they, they raised their sail was they, they, they were expecting. They were expecting the gift. They were expecting this power of the Spirit. And I want us to be people who expect God to do great things in us and through us. And this expectancy drew them together in community. And this is the second thing we want to ask is, are you living in biblical community? Look at verse 14. They joined together constantly. They joined together constantly. Are you living in biblical community? Are you gathering around with people who share your faith? Or are you kind of isolated? Are you kind of lone ranger Christian right now? Are you living in biblical community? Do you believe in the value of being together? Of, of, of joining together to strengthen each other and to, um, uh, to grow together and to serve together? Is this, time, is this time a priority to you? That when people invite you to stuff on the weekend, it's like, I'd love to be there. I can't miss this time. It's too important. It's too vital. I have to get together with, with the people in my, my community, and, and we have to be together. We need to worship together and be inspired together and hear what God wants to do in, in us, what the fresh word that he has for us this week. I, I, I want to be with our people, and then I'll join you in croquet tournament or whatever we're doing. Is this important? Is being in a group or being around some Christian friends regularly, whether it's a life group or mentoring or, or, or just uh, that one Christian friend that you're always trying to meet together regularly to say, we, we need to care for each other. Do you believe this is important? And if it is, do you believe what you believe? Are you making it a priority? Are you not missing out on it? Are you, are you taking advantage of how important this is? The, the scriptures call us to this life of community. That, that in this in-between time, between when Jesus rose and ascended to when he comes again, be together. Strengthen each other. In fact, what we see all throughout the scripture is this, this call to a, what we might call a one-another life. 
And so we're called to encourage one another and forgive one another and, and build one another up, spur one another on. There's this long list, if you keep looking all through scripture, there's this, this idea of, there's this life that you live together. So love each other, love and be loved. Serve and be served. It's reciprocal. It's the, the idea for us to grow, to, to, if you want to put your sail up, and catch the power of the Spirit in your life, if you want to experience the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life, then you have to surround your life with some other Christians who are going to be there for you. They'll be there for you, and you will find that you get to be there for them. It's this reciprocal life. Do you believe what you believe? Do you believe that this is important? Do you believe you need this? And this one another life is so important. Now, uniquely... Uh, one writer says this, he says, I, I, these are some of the one another's I could not find in the New Testament. He said, I could not find humble one another, scrutinize one another, pressure one another, embarrass one another, corner one another, interrupt one another, defeat one another, sacrifice one another, shame one another, judge one another, run one another's lives, confess one another's sins, intensify one another's sufferings, point out one another's failings. Do you believe what you believe? Do you believe how important that biblical community is? It's vital. That if if you're going to experience the power of the Spirit of God in your life, then you're going to have to surround yourself with people who love God like you do and who want God's best like you do. And you will find that you're strengthening and sharpening each other. And by being together, in some ways, you just find, you know what? When I'm with these people, I, I leave wanting more of what God wants for my life, for my family, for my, for my friends. I just want more of what God wants. And you, you, what you really sense is, my life just feels filled by the Spirit. I feel this, this inspiration, this power. I'm ready for whatever it is that God wants. Because I'm not in it alone. Do you believe... What you believe. They met together constantly. And this community, this expectant community led to expectant prayer. Notice that they they met together constantly and they prayed. Are you living in prayer? Notice how they're praying constantly. The 120 are gathered together and they're marked. Their gathering is marked by prayer, by praying. Praying precedes doing. Doing follows prayer for them. How do, they, how do they put their sail in the air? How do they prepare to catch the wind? They pray. And they're expected in their prayer. And it's interesting that the, the, uh, how Luke describes it is that they prayed constantly, or the word is persistently. They persisted in prayer. Now it's interesting that Luke uses this word because Luke, as he was describing how Jesus taught about prayer in Luke chapter 11 in his gospel. This is what Jesus taught us to do. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Is, is learn to be persistent in prayer. Don't just throw up a prayer and kind of go on. But in, it, 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 believe in prayer. Believe that God wants to hear your prayer. So the disciples came to Jesus in Luke 11. They said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And Jesus did an interesting thing. He said, okay, here's how you start. Start by praying this way, Father. And it begins with this relational 
uh, approach, this relationship. See God as your father. Now, this is an interesting starting point because as you see everything he says there in Luke 11, you realize he's kind of crafting this picture of God as father and you as a child coming to your dad, asking him, trusting him, knowing that he's good to come to. So Jesus teaches him what we would call the Lord's Prayer. And then he tells a story. He says, uh, suppose you have this friend and it's the middle of the night. And, and this friend has a, has a guest, a visitor come in the middle of the night. And he has nothing to entertain this friend. He has no food or anything. So he comes over to your house in the middle of the night. Now you have to understand it's midnight. And in, in ancient times was midnight. It pitch black. There's no street lamps, right? You're in a one room home. You and all your kids in one bed, all tucked in. And so when he says, so when your friend comes to the door and knocks and says, hey, I, I, I got a guest. I have nothing to entertain. Can I please borrow some bread? Can I please borrow something? He says, your first response is, I'm not getting up. I'm, I'm tucked in. I got my kids. I don't want to wake up the whole house. No. He says, what, what is your friend going to do? Fine. He says, you won't get up because of friendship. You'll get up because your friend's shameless audacity. Your friend just is not afraid to just keep coming to you and coming to you and coming to you, persisting in the request. And notice what Jesus is saying. This is how I want you to pray. I want you to know that you can come to God and you can ask. Who asks like that? Okay, you say, oh, my, my annoying friend. No, who asks like, kids ask like that, right? Dad, hey, 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 dad. Fine, here, take it. And he says, look, learn to, I, I want you to know you can pray. And then he says this, he says, so I say, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. And then notice again, this picture of a, of a father and child. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Jesus is saying, don't, I want you to pray believing God wants to hear you. Believing God wants you to come and keep coming and keep coming and keep asking. Come, believe. Do you believe what you believe? Do you believe that you have a father in heaven who wants to hear your prayers? Maybe your prayer life feels kind of lost or stale. Or I, 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 I found myself rethinking this. I thought there's some things going on right now that I, I, I feel like maybe I just gave up on. I just said, you know what? This doesn't seem like you're going to do anything about this. So, and I just, and I found myself coming back to this like, okay, I need to persist in this. I don't know what you're going to do, but, but it's obvious from, from what your spirit's leading in my life that I'm not supposed to stop praying about this right now. And so I found myself being called again to like, am I living in prayer? I need, I need to keep praying through some of these things that I'm struggling through and, and that are causing stress. So Jesus says, don't, why would you be, be anxious? Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Pray, pray. Trust that a good father wants to hear and give you good things. 
Do you believe what you believe? And this expectant prayer led to expectant leadership. And and the last question that we want to think through is, are you living in his story? Are you living in his story? See, the the last way we see that they they rose or raised their sail up to catch the wind was they they, uh, reorganized their life now from their story to his story. Jesus in Luke 24 Twice in his resurrection appearances does this. He, he explains everything that's happened to him in light of all the scriptures. So he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two men. They can't see. They don't understand what's happened. And Jesus said, it says that Jesus began to explain to him everything that was supposed to happen through the scriptures. As he comes into the, uh, the upper room among the disciples, Jesus says everything from the law and the prophets and the Psalms Everything had to be fulfilled. Everything was leading to this moment. This is not a surprise to God. Everything has been leading to this moment. And everything from this moment will continue to lead through through what it is I'm doing. And so notice how they get it now. Notice that they've changed. That that their lives are being aligned to God's story instead of their own. Because remember, every time that Jesus would begin talking about his kingdom, they would talk, they, I mean, in their mind, they had their own ideas about the kingdom. Now, Jesus, now are you going to do the kingdom? Now are you going to start it up? And Jesus started talking about, I'm going to give my life. They're going to take me. No, we won't let that happen. So they never are embracing God's story. They're always embracing their own. They're always asking Jesus, come alongside the story we have for you. This is the life we want. Come into our story, Jesus. And Jesus always is resisting that and always calling them into his story. And now you see they get it. Now you see the leadership of Peter. Notice the way he notes, hey, what happened had to happen. Scripture had to be fulfilled. And now as he leads, he's, you see him quoting the Psalms. The, the decisions that they're making are not what they think are best. It's what they think fits as they understand the story of God. And they got to call a new one to replace Judas, who who was the traitor. And and the decision that they make, they're they're walking in God's story now. And as they do this, we, we find ourselves asking this question. Is his story my story? Is his story my story? Is your life about his story? story or is it about your story? Are you asking Jesus to enter into your story? Jesus, come in. Bless me. Bless what I want to do. Bless the path I have. These are the things I want, Lord. Would you bless this? Instead of surrendering and saying, Lord, the best way I could live my life, the most the, the most powerful way, the most fulfilling way I could live my life is to align my life to yours. Bring my life and surrender it to yours. When you sing, my heart will sing no other name but Jesus. Do you believe what you believe? Are you saying, I don't want any other name to be above the name of Jesus. I don't want any story to be above that story. Do you believe what you believe? When you sing, I have decided, 
to follow Jesus, no turning back. Is that the story really of your life? Do you believe what you say you believe? Do you believe what you believe? And they knew the way to catch the power of the wind was to raise their sail, to align their story with his. Some of you have heard of Charles Blondin in 1859. He was the first man to walk across uh, on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. 25,000 people showed up to watch him. 1,100 feet across, 160 feet above the raging waters. And, And when he crossed for the first time, I mean, the crowd just went, crazy. But in the days after that, he continued to kind of push his limits. He walked across on stilts. He walked across with a chair and a small stove, and he made himself an omelet. He walked across with a wheelbarrow holding 350 pounds of cement. He gets to the other side, and the crowd is going bananas, rightfully so, right? So he asked the crowd, do you believe that I could cross back with this wheelbarrow with someone sitting inside and the crowd goes crazy. And so he looks into the crowd and he sees this one guy who's particularly enthusiastic. And he says, you, will you be the one? Ain't no way. (laughs) Right? Do you believe what you say you believe? Do you believe what you believe? Well, here's who did believe, his manager. In fact, his manager jumped on his back and and he carried him across uh, that rope, across that river. Do you believe what you believe? Would you get in the wheelbarrow with Jesus? If Jesus says, look, do you you trust me? Do you believe me? Will you put your life in my hands? Absolutely. Would you get in the wheelbarrow? Mm Mm-mm. That's scary. I need you to trust me. Because in essence, this is what he calls us to do. Jesus says this to us. Look, if you want to be my follower, you have to leave, you have to leave everything on the other side. You have to leave, leave that old life behind. It's called repentance. It's turning from our old life and turning back to God. He says, and, and embrace me by faith. Don't just believe things about me. Believe in me. Trust me. Have faith in me. Belief, faith, trust, they're basically all synonymous in the New Testament. Testament. It just simply means, would you trust? Would you put your life on the line? Some of you have been around Jesus, and if I asked if you believed, you'd say yes. Intellectually, you could agree to things. But let me ask you this. If Jesus said, get in the wheelbarrow, would you do it? Would you put your life in his hands? That's what he invites us to. That's what he invites us to. And so I want to take a moment and invite us to pray. These first Christians model to us to expect great things from God, to, to, to prize community and pray, believing that a father is listening, to give up our story and to organize our life into his story. So let me ask you this. If you're here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, who came for you, who died for you, who rose for you, and who's coming again for you, would you just in the quiet of this moment 
Maybe you just can picture the standing, him standing there with a wheelbarrow. With his hand out to you. Saying, trust me, come to me. If you've never put your life in his hands, would you just in the quiet of this moment say, Jesus, today I'm jumping in the wheelbarrow. I'm giving you my life. I'm turning from these things. Fill my life with your spirit. Save me from my sin. And with your help, I'll follow you all the days of my life. If that's where your heart is, just in the quiet of this moment, just tell him that. And maybe one of those four things is what, where the Spirit was nudging or pushing or kicking. Would you just confess that? I hear you. I hear you, and I want that. I know what you're calling me to is life. So confess where you think you're struggling, where you need his help. And in just a moment, we'll, we'll sing and we'll, we'll close out our service. Take a moment just to quietly pray.